great to be here with you this morning worshiping and uh, excited to be walking through this with you. I'm kind of lone gunning it here. John is not down front with me. She's actually out at Taylor. Alyssa had a concert she was singing in last night, and so John went out to see her with that. So uh, she's at Harvest North Indy this morning, and, uh, and then we'll be getting back here in time for the 4.30 service. So uh, just a little bit of family things going on with all of that as we are in uh, the second week of our series here, right? And this series is called Generous. Now remember, we walked through 2 Corinthians chapters 1 through 3 over the summer, and we were dealing there with the depths of what Paul is wrestling with as he introduced this book to them. And then chapters 4, 5, 6, and 7 became this call out to a proper view of life and ministry. It was a call to live fearlessly, to live undaunted, to grasp who God is and live accordingly. And after chapters 4, 5, 6, and 7, he's like, man, if you really grasp who God is, if you really get what he's doing in your life, if you sense him pouring in and filling you up, I'm telling you the next thing that we're going to need to talk about here, chapters 8 and 9, is a generous overflow as it pours to the streets, right? And so that's where we're at, chapters 8 and 9, this generous overflow of our God in our lives. And it's not just some command we follow. It's actually a life we're living in celebration to our God. And all of God's people said, that's a huge deal. It's a giant celebration of our God. And uh, so today we're jumping in here with give to supply others' needs. That's the second week in the series here, give to supply others' needs. And uh, turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 8. 2 Corinthians 8, starting in verse 8. As we look to learn to give to supply others' needs. And the first point here is honor your God by stepping into ministry with finishing power. Honor your God by stepping into ministry with finishing power. And, uh, so it starts in verse 8 here. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. He's like, I don't, I'm not saying this is a command. I'm not telling you just do it, right? It's not that. It's not just a command. Well, he says, uh, I'm not saying this not as a command. Well, what? this what? Well, if you look back in the prior verse right before it, he's like, um, excel in this act of grace also. He's like, remember, there's been this lavishing on this giving from Titus and the monies that have come in for you. And, and man, I'm calling you to live in faith and speech and knowledge. And man, make sure this is affecting you and live to excel in the grace that God has shared into you and that you now get to share out to others. And so he's just called them to get generous and to be able to express this act of grace, not just into their church, but beyond their church. And uh, he's like, I'm not just saying it as a command, man. It's not just go do it. There's some point to what I'm talking about here. He's like, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. He's like, man, there are people hungering for you to be able to get this and grow in this and for there to be life change that goes on in you. There's an earnestness from others that things would begin to happen in your soul. And our passion is it would begin to show in your actions and in your attitudes in a way where it shows your love to be genuine. I'm telling you, you can be an encouragement to those around you. That's what he's saying. Hang on, dig deep, live for your God, 
you're encouraging the very ones who sent to you these gifts, who are caring about you and have an earnestness and a passion for you. And as you live for Jesus Christ, you're an inspiration. And uh, did you know that? Like, that's a huge deal, man. And uh, as you rally to this church, I mean, take a look around this place right now. Packed out. And, and God, amen, man. And God's doing something in this room. And all of God's people said, amen. man, and we are here to rally together and to celebrate. And just so you know, your fire is an inspiration. Your passion is an inspiration. And you might be sitting here today and you're like, I don't know how much fire I have today. And just so you know, the passion of the person next to you is your inspiration then, right? Or maybe two or three people down, and, uh, right? And I'm just telling you, God works through people. And the earnestness that we have to see God work starts to become an encouragement to us as we see God literally changing lives. And all of God's people said, a church on fire. And he's like, man, I cannot wait for you to show your love to be genuine and to basically prove to others that their earnestness was with purpose. And uh, he says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace. Uh, this is something that we receive that we do not deserve. The thing is, though, we, we know that. We say that a lot around here, right? And it gets easy to say, yeah, it's something I get that I don't deserve. But, but I don't know if we get the gravity of, the severity of how much we don't deserve it. You know, I think a lot of us walk around and we're like, Grace, it's that thing I almost deserved. Just maybe not quite deserved. And uh, everybody say, that's not it. Grace, it's what we didn't even come close to deserving. And he pours into our life. Grace. We didn't earn it. We didn't do anything to even come close to earning it. Christ giving to us what we have no business asking for. Grace. A gift beyond all belief. Grace. Man, may we live with that word starting to mean something to our soul. I didn't earn this. How unusual is it, right, that we begin to read Scripture and the first thing we do after we get a few chapters into learning and seeing and we start seeing commands of action and we start doing some of those commands and we're like, did you see what I did, God? And so I've been really good here and so maybe, you know, maybe you need to give a little bit here and just so you know, that is not the definition of grace. Trying to go in and do the actions we're seeing in Scripture, trying to earn some right or privilege. That is not it. And a grace, we can't ever earn it. Scripture says, for all have sinned, it's an archery term. It means for all aimed for the bullseye and didn't even come close, right? It came up short, it hit the turf, and the sand flew. And we all have hit the turf, man. Zero points. But grace giving to us. Praise be to God. We have hope, not because of our goodness, but because of his graciousness. And uh, It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to tell you something that kind of messed me up for a while when I was in seminary. And uh, just so you know, Prof said to me, hey, check it out. Rarely is the name Jesus just Jesus. 
In fact, when you look through the epistles, you're almost always going to see it coming with title. Like in this case, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And so be careful, show respect, don't just call him Jesus, call him Jesus Christ or Jesus Messiah or Jesus who is God or Lord Jesus Christ or, right, put the title to it that grasps who he is. He's more than just a man. He is fully God and fully man and all of God's people said, right, and so think about that whenever you're talking about him or praying to him, right, if you're closing in prayer, it's not just in Jesus' name maybe, maybe now it's in Jesus, who is Lord and Savior, Redeemer, and King. Amen. Recognize the position of who he is and reflect on that. Paul is doing that in a huge way here as he's like, um, and you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not you know the grace of Jesus. Position and title and the grasping who he is in our life. And uh, don't get all wound up in that, all right? And I can really start to get this legalistic thing. And all of a sudden, we're like, dude, you didn't pray right. You needed a different title for Jesus. Like, watch out for that. Don't get too far down that path, but show respect for who Jesus Christ is, Lord Jesus Christ. And for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Though he was rich, that means he owned things we could never imagine owning. He's king of the universe. He owns it all. He is king of kings and lord of lords. And uh, he is God almighty. And Jesus, having fully, being fully God, set it down, right? He is the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. He owns it all. And he ends up saying, all right, all right, all right. I'm going to set this down. I'll become a man. I'll clothe myself with humanity. And I will give to them what they cannot manage themselves. Rich, man, he owns every single thing that exists in all the universe. That's pretty rich, man, right? And uh, we're rich when we're like, that's it, I've achieved it. And we've got some dollar number. It has a few zeros after it. And you're like, I've achieved it. I put it in the bank. And rich. And, And Jesus is like, yeah, I made that. Like, you don't understand, man. He owns it all. Jesus Christ, God Almighty, and he set down some of that privilege, and he clothed himself with humanity. And Philippians chapter 2 talks about the fact that this is a humbling. He humbled himself and became like you and me, right? And uh, can you imagine if you were talking to somebody and they're like, man, I had to really humble myself. I had to act like I was you, (laughs) right? But, but this is real, man, for us to grasp in Scripture that the God of the universe put on humanity, put on creation, is a small thing for a God of the universe to be putting on. And he took on poverty, it says. He became poor. And uh, more than just him clothing himself with humanity, he ended up carrying also a punishment while he lived perfectly he took on death. He took nails to his hands and feet. His blood shed, treated as if he were the worst of sinners, but he was actually the best of all mankind. He took on a poverty for you and for me. Man, we're not just going deep, we're going 
right? Gospel deep, and we've talked about this from years back. This is from the book of Romans we talked about it. We're not just going deep, we're going gospel deep. For those of you who haven't been here with us for a few years, maybe you just came recently and you didn't know about that phrase, now you know it. We're not just going deep, we're going gospel deep. That's a huge deal. What does it mean? It means the depths of the truth of the gospel will affect every facet of my soul. Every facet. And the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, don't just hear it as something that needs to be managed for eternity maybe somehow. The gospel, it affects your next second, your next minute, your next hour, your next day, week, month, year. The good news of Jesus Christ and the grace of Jesus Christ poured into our lives. Him for me. He died on the cross for my sins. He humbled himself and became a man. I have hope because of his poverty. My God took on what he did not have to take on so that I could have what is never meant to rightly be mine. And all of God's people said, and we got to grasp that with all we've got. When we grasp the gospel and when we grasp what Jesus Christ is offering and Paul puts this into terms, he's like, Man, just so you know, he was rich, but for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Man, if you believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, if you confess him as Lord, if you get fired up about who this God is in your life, hear me on this, the next step that happens is saved. Saved. What does that mean? It means your name written in the Lamb's book of life. It means a declaration from the angels that this one's life has been changed. It means that you are on a trajectory where one degree of glory at a time, God will be working out change here on earth. And for all eternity, you will live with him. Rich. Amen? Man, that is our hope. This world is broken, man. And the best we have is in the journey is smiling together, talking together, growing together, and longing for perfection that will come. My God has it in hand. And all of God's people said, for you know the grace of Jesus Christ. He is rich, and he became poor for you and for me, that in our poverty, we might become rich. And that is gospel deep. Hope in Jesus Christ. He says, and in this matter, what matter? He's now connecting it back to the fact that they were giving and they were a part of a plan and they were participating in some things and then Titus had to come to him and there was a letter that was needed and some challenge that had to take place and these guys were sort of losing some of their edge, right? And he's like, and in this matter, I give my judgment. Imagine being in the church when that's being read. They're like, here's the letter from Paul. And in this matter, I give my judgment. Oh boy. I don't like that word. Judgment. Here we go. Paul's going to share with us where we're wrong, right? And, uh, and in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you. Oh, well, maybe it won't be as bad. Uh, who a year ago 
started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. And uh, nope, it's going to be bad. And uh, he's going to challenge us. And a year ago, they had committed, there was a collection starting to be taken among the churches for those in need. That included the church at Corinth. Everyone was hurting. There was devastation going on. And there were a lot of churches collecting. And they jumped in in the beginning. They're like, yeah, that sounds awesome. And, And let's get this started, man. And they longed to jump in and do it. In fact, they started to do it with them. They started collecting along with the rest of them. And so... A year earlier, they had jumped in. They were going after it together with a number of other churches. He's like, in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you. You know, a year ago, you started something. You wanted to do it, and you did it. So now finish doing it as well. And there it is. Continue through to the end. Let your yes be yes. You committed to some things. Make sure it happens Finish doing it well. You know, there are a number of different kinds of personalities in this world. Are you the kind of personality that loves to start but hates to finish? Are you the kind of personality that you jump into it with a lot of excitement and euphoria and you can't imagine it's going to be so cool when, but a handful of days, weeks, or months later, you're looking at the next thing and you're like, I can't wait to get into the new thing over here because it's going to be so cool when. And then the next, new thing, and new thing, and new thing, and finish well. Right? That is a biblical understanding, and it mirrors who our God is. And uh, finish what you start. Get after it with a completer's heart. I long to see this done. And then we'll see what God has in store next. And finish well. He says here, you know, I desire for you to be able to do this, so now finish doing it well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. And uh, get ready, I want you to complete it from what you have. I'm not saying give what you don't have, and if you started out with an understanding of what you thought you might have this next year, and things just turned out harder and you weren't able to give to some of that, then I get that. But finish based on what you have. According to what you have, keep the race running, men. Get this thing done well. And uh, some of you hate to finish. Some of you love to finish. And uh, I actually am probably on the side of I love to see things completed and being able to check that box, right? There's that kind of personality too. And being able to see it done and done well. In fact, when I first came out of school, I was in engineering when I first came out, and uh, some of the work I did uh, was for just a, uh, it was a research firm, and uh, research means you never actually deliver anything. (laughs) I'm not kidding, man. And after four months of writing code and digging in and, and my summary paper of what I had found and some things I was turning in with the PhD I was working with, and, and, uh, our report said, boy, do we have a lot more to figure out. And I'm like, I can't do this, man. So I switched out of research into research and development. That was an internship. I switched over to JobSide where we started developing product, where we actually delivered something in a set time frame. It so fit more of who my personality was to design, develop, and finish. And uh, man, this is a huge deal. And uh, there are different personalities out there. Some of you will see this and go, this is easy. 
And others of you will see this and go, oh my word, this is a complete life change. And uh, here's my request. Man, hear what God is calling for. Let your yes be yes. Make sure you honor him in the midst. May God get all the glory. Notice phrases like start and finish and complete. And uh, he's using racing terms here. He's using running terms here. And uh, make sure the race that's begun is completed. So uh, I looked up a few racing stories. Uh, here's a good one. Fred Lors, 1904 Olympics. He was running the marathon. I mean, is there a more nostalgic race to run than the marathon in the Olympics, right? And so he's running the marathon for the Olympics. In fact, he's a U.S. competitor, and he's running. At the 1904 Olympics, we're in St. Louis, and so he's representing the U.S. on home turf, right? And it's a huge deal. Now, he's a bricklayer by day, and so he wasn't able to really practice a lot, and so he was doing a lot of it at nights and on weekends. It was a hard grind, and he didn't really get to the level he wanted to. As he got to the race, he was excited about what would happen. As the gun went off and everybody started running, he tried to keep up with those at the front that were going to grind it out hard, and he was running as hard as he could, right? Have you ever heard the phrase, it's a marathon, not a sprint? Right? And he was running at like sprint level, and some of those guys were prepped to do it, and he kind of wasn't. And he got about to mile seven, and he utterly collapsed. He had to walk to the side of the road and just stop, breathing hard, could barely get it together, and it's over. And he looks up, and one of his friends is standing there, and he's like, come here, man. Just come on off, and uh, I'll take care of you. So he comes over. And he climbs into his car, 1904, okay? That's kind of a unique moment. Most people have horses or they walk, right? So he climbs into his 1904 car, and he's going to drive him back. So he drives him back over to get some medical attention and get to the stadium. He gets there. He gets out of the car, and he walks over, and actually, he's still got the number on him. And as he starts to walk in, people start cheering, right? And he's like... Yeah! And so he runs the victory lap around and cuts the tape and wins. For real, man. He won. It wasn't until later where somebody was like, didn't I see you get out of a car? Right? And he's like, well, I ran seven miles. I rode 19 in the car. I didn't mean to do this. Y'all started cheering for me, and really it wasn't the plan. And so they stripped the gold medal from him and gave it to the next guy in line who was like, I thought I was faster than him, right? Can you imagine that moment where you take a car to win? Dude, that's not called finishing, right? And uh, I started look looking up this kind of course-cutting model that people started using. And in fact, there was a woman in 1979 who won the New York Marathon by uh, running the first few miles and then jumping on the subway. <laughs> and she got to the end and got off and ran in and won. And she's like, that worked well. So in 1980, she ran the Boston Marathon and took the Boston subway. Can you believe this? That was her plan. All year long, she's like, okay, I got to figure out where the subway entrance is. That, that was her plan for finishing the race well. And uh, that, everybody say, that's a terrible plan. That's a terrible plan. It isn't about making it look like you're finishing. It's finishing well, Right? And may we run the whole of the race, finishing it well. There was a race in the Olympics originally that uh, I can't even pronounce the, 
name of the thing, but it basically was you would run with a torch and you would pass along like a baton the flame. And so when you get to the next spot where the next runner is, you touch your flame to their flame, it would light up and then they would run with that. And it actually kind of was the model of what we now use in the start of the Olympics, right? Where they run from one place to an, all the way to the beginning of the Olympics and they're passing along the torch with very famous people running those legs. That actually came from this original race. The whole point of the race was to run and pass along the flame like a baton. Okay, here's the catch. The winner was not the first to cross the line. The winner was the first to cross the line with flame lit. Majorly different. And you've got to figure out how to protect the flame, and you've got to figure out how to run with wind, and you've got to figure out how to all of it. And you're going to cross the line with your flame lit. That's the winner. Our job as we run for Jesus Christ as we take on the commitments we take on, is to run the race well, to run the race fully, and to have our flame lit passionately the whole time. And all of God's people said, may we start well, may we run well, may we protect the flame of passion and fire for Jesus Christ along the journey, and may we finish with a fervor that is all about worshiping him. That's what it looks like. Finish well. In this case, talking very specifically about commitments financially to caring for those needs around you. Man, as we speak in and put our yes on things, we must complete with all we've got. And, uh, you know, I'm just telling you that's super important to this church. And super important to our missions organization as we've taken on commitments in Haiti. We're not like, hey, we're in for a little while. We'll figure it out later. We're in. And when we promise them we're going to help in times of dire need, then that's what we're doing. And if we broaden our circle and start including more churches than just Haiti, which very well could happen this next year, I'm telling you, the breadth of our commitment is we will make good on every word we said. So we think thoroughly through where we're headed. And then we commit to that and go after it with all we've got. Man, make sure you reason through what God's calling you to. Then let your yes be yes and finish well. Your flame lit on fire for Jesus Christ the whole time. Okay? Number two. See that your abundance supplies others' needs for his glory. See that your abundance supplies others' needs for his glory. Here we go. For if the readiness is there, like if you're really excited to get this race started, if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. It is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. It is acceptable according to what a person has, not what he does not have, right? In other words, it goes like this. And make sure your plan to give is based on what God has first given you. Not giving more than what he's given, but based on what he's given you. You're not being asked to give what you don't have and what God didn't share with you, right? And if you're sitting next to someone who's like, I give $100,000 a year. Well, that's awesome. And you're like, I don't even come close to making that. 
How could I give that? And the answer is that is not the request that everybody give equally. Everybody say not that. But instead that we give according to what God has given to us. Okay? Give according to what God has given to us. This is a real common sense moment, right? It'd be fair to put the word duh in there. Right? No duh. Right? I can't give what I don't have. And to give according to what God has given you. And make sure that that is how you look at and plan for what you're going to go after. And uh, I'm just going to say this, this uh, plan of how we live with our money financially. Let's just talk about this in a little broader sense first before we move forward, all right? And so there's really several different pieces that we need to figure out. And, and we've talked about this before. Last week in chapter 8, the beginning of chapter 8, it says, give first to the Lord. Everybody say, first to the Lord. Dude, that is the starting point of figuring out what to do with your finances, all right? And many people are like this. First, I spend everything I need to spend. And then maybe a little bit of enjoyment. And if there's anything left, then I give to the Lord. Everybody say, not that. That's give last to the Lord, right? The plan is give first to the Lord. And so as the money comes in, you're like, this portion is being set aside to be able to give to God. And Old Testament talks pretty specifically about a tithe element, a tenth, okay? Ten percent. And uh, just so you know, New Testament doesn't talk about the dollar value. New, New Testament talks about your heart for giving cheerfully. And we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. It is all about your heart of giving, and uh, I'm just telling you, if you're looking for a great number to start with, well, Old Testament law, God was like, let's start with 10% here, right? Let's do the 10% give. And so that's a, a great starting point kind of number for you, is that 10% give on the first fruits. But I'm telling you this, God is so more interested in your worship. And it might be that you're giving well over 10%, and that was just the starting point. You're like, I'm celebrating what my God is giving to me. And in the midst of what we have in our needs, we're able to give more, and we're doing that. And giving first to the Lord, man, looking for those leads along the way, all right? Really make sense out of that, first to the Lord. And then there's the saving and the spending that needs to go on to be able to manage your life and care for your family, Okay? Making sense out of that throughout every day and every week to be able to cover the food, shelter, clothing, education, the entertainment stuff. It's not wrong to enjoy that which has been given to you. Remember, you've already given first to the Lord. And he wants you to enjoy what he's shared with you. And it's not wrong to have entertainment built into that. So that saving and spending plan, you need to make good, wise sense out of with a solid budget. And then giving over and above with what's remaining uh, giving out from there, okay? That's a great four-step thought. First to the Lord, saving and spending plan, and then giving over and above. And uh, for those of you who are with us on Tuesday night, we ended up having a Dave Ramsey thing here. We had over 600 people in this auditorium on Tuesday night. That is a lot of people coming together for one study, right? And so we had uh, over 600 people in here, and we walked through a Dave Ramsey thing, which was kind of walking through the... Uh, 
the uh, snowball effect, getting rid of your debt, and some of the other pieces that you may have heard, he calls it the seven baby steps, right? And we walked through those seven baby steps and getting the gist of it. He was also kind of setting up some of the other ministries that he has and things that are available for you to get more help with. And so uh, for those of you who are with us, you know what I'm talking about, but there was a little bit of sort of selling the next thing that could come as well in your life there. And Dave Ramsey, there was some good, strong, simple, practical helps. And for those who want to take the next steps, those were made available too. And uh, just so you know, those seven baby steps apply to that middle section, the saving and spending, the saving and spending. And he didn't spend a whole lot of time talking about give first to the Lord, right? He didn't talk about it much there, but in his financial piece university, he goes into it in length, okay? First to the Lord. Then the saving and spending piece, that's where those uh, seven baby steps apply and making sense out of that. And then over and above giving beyond that based on what makes sense in your budget, okay? That's what it looks like. And uh, we're not going to go through the seven baby steps here, but I'll tell you this, if you just go out and Google it, it's not a secret, right? And uh, you can see those and you can see the definition of those as you begin to establish emergency funds and healthy savings for yourself and being able to pay down debt so you're not crippled by the debt you owe, getting that stuff removed. And there's some really helpful steps along the way on that. And uh, getting those seven baby steps applied to your saving and spending category, first to the Lord, saving and spending, getting the seven baby steps to get that lined up. And then the over and above giving that God might get all the glory, okay? That's a great plan across the board to be able to make much of what your God is doing. And you might be in here this morning and you're like, that first of the Lord thing, you got to be kidding me. Like how in the world could I come up with that kind of percentage? And, and uh, I'll just say this, if you're in a spot where you haven't been giving much to the Lord, here would be my statement for your worship, Okay. Seriously, this is not about, hey, we're in the need as a church. or It's not that. This is, man, I want your worship on fire, okay? And for your worship on fire to be giving back to the Lord based on how he's giving to you and heading that percentage up in the giving, all right? And if you're like, I don't even know how to get there. Well, here's a simple little thought. Uh, as your raise comes around, consider that a portion, if not all of your raise, maybe needs to go towards that, and you're going to live on the same budget you lived on from last year. Like those kinds of easy, simple, reasonable things that help you leg into it in a way where you can start to make much for your God. And man, make sure you are celebrating him. Please, this is all about our worship. Everybody say it's all about the worship. I firmly agree with you. It is all about the worship. It is so not about check a box. It is so about God owns it all and we are his managers and God, we're ready to take steps with you and may you get all the glory. I am celebrating my king and I'll give first back to you and I'll spend based on what I have and then we'll end up saving into the wisdom of that and giving even beyond. Man, that is a wonderful journey with what God's entrusted to you. And uh, just so you know, America kind of disagrees with that approach. So I just wrote this down. Here's America's approach. Ready? Give nothing, save a little, spend all of it, borrow more, and we're done. That's the American plan. 
So by the end of it, you're like, I have nothing saved, I have a ton of debt, I've really given nowhere, and I've tried to experience a ton of the life of this world with my money, right? And the problem with it is it becomes a very selfish style of living, and your worship collapses, and the weight of that debt collapses. Man, don't listen to the things of this world. They don't know what they're selling at all. Set that down. God knows exactly what he's talking about. Give first to the Lord, save and spend wisely according to what he's given you, right? Not spending wildly beyond, right? And then with what you have left over, giving even over and above, may God get all the glory. This is a rally cry to get our budgets in line. Ready? Here's the uptake. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. All right. He says, look, this isn't just about uh, running after this from a command. I want you to grasp the purpose of this. And he says, for if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. And uh, man, God's not asking you to do the miracle work. He's asking you to do the reasonable work based on what he's given to you. He owns it. You're the manager. Honor him along the way. It says, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at this present time should supply their needs so that their abundance may supply your need and there may be fairness. He's like, I can tell what argument they're going to go with next. They're going to be like, are you kidding me? Do you know how hard up we are? Do you understand what's going on? And he's like, listen, if you're in, a mate, in the position of abundance, let that be shared out with those who are in a position of not, of lack. So that overall there can be a sharing and a connecting together and a partnership in it. And later on, they'll cover you with their abundance and your lack. And may God get all the glory in all of this. Now, please hear me. This is not a call for a communistic approach to life, okay? This is not what he's saying. I want every single person to own exactly the same amount of things. Everybody say, not that, right? He's not saying, I want every house to be equally the exact same size. Everybody say, not that, right? He's not. He's not talking about the generalities of possessions. Here he's talking about the basic needs of life. Food, shelter, clothing, those basic needs being covered. Man, God has given enough for us to share around and make sure that those are covered. May we wisely participate and, yes, even worldwide in our missions endeavors, figuring out who, when, and where to be able to give into so that we can get those things managed. And all of God's people said, right? So if you go to these passages and you're like, I knew we should have been a socialistic environment, a communistic environment. Like, that's not what's being said. It's saying cover the basic needs and help people out. Love on them. May God get all the glory, okay? In Exodus chapter 16, uh, Moses is walking with the Israelites. They have busted out of Egypt. Um, they are slaves now on the run, and they've been given freedom. And Moses is walking along with these guys, and they start grumbling and complaining. I'm hungry. Where's the food? We would have been better off to be back there. Can you imagine saying those words? We would have been better off to be slaves in Egypt. Take us back home. Just crazy words being said. 
Moses gets pretty ticked off, kind of his thing, right? The, the Israelites really bothered him over the course of time, and he's like, what? What are you talking about? That's crazy. And as they talk it back and forth, God ends up telling Moses, hey, I'm going to provide food. <clears throat> and so all of a sudden, one of the mornings, bread from heaven comes down and settles onto the ground. Bread from heaven. Now we're told in John chapter 6, Jesus is like, you know the bread from heaven that came down for the Israelites. I am the bread of life. Right? And he connects those together and we get to see that he is our spiritual hope. This was a type as it came down and showed and reflected who Christ would be for all of us. But as they're standing there starving, this stuff comes down. They have no clue what it is at all. And, and in the Hebrew, they're like, what is it? Right? And just so you know, in the Hebrew, that's pronounced mana. Mana. It was manna. The, the bread from heaven, it, they titled it, what is it? That's how ingenious their naming plan was. <laughs> this is the what is it stuff. It comes down. We don't even know what it is. We just cook it and eat it. It's like bread, kind of, sort of, kind of not, but sort of. And, and so we're going to eat it. And so the first couple days it came down, they just hoarded it in. They're like, oh my word, we finally have it. And they brought in a ton, more than they could even have for that day. And they cooked what they needed for that day. And the stuff they kept, it went rancid the next day. God was like, no, you're going to take exactly what I have for you and not more. Super important you get that. And uh, so they've hoarded it in and they're starting to smell rancid. Can you imagine? And Moses is walking around the leader and he's like, I told you not to take more. Your people smell terrible now. We <laughs> get rid of that stuff. Listen to me. Will you please obey? Right? What are you doing? And uh, God knows what he's doing here. He'll provide. And so now as it comes down, they take just enough for that day. And it says for the ones who needed a lot, they would take a lot because they had a lot of kids in their family or whatever. And for the ones who needed little, they would take a little. And they would get exactly enough for that day. And they were cared for. Here's the catch. Ready? But on Friday, when the next day was the Sabbath and they weren't supposed to go out and work and collect, God gave twice as much. And they could collect that and they would cook for the one day and the stuff they kept would not go rancid for the next day. So five days a week, that stuff would go rancid, but on the sixth, it would not because God knows what he's doing, and all of God's people said. And so now they'd have enough just for the two days, but if they collected enough for three, that would go rancid. God knows exactly what he's doing, and he walked them through this process of be satisfied with what you have. Collect what you need and use that. Be willing to work together. There's enough here for all of you. May God get all the glory. Man, we got to understand that our God is a giving God. Our God is a reasonable God, and our God has a plan. Give according to what he has given to you. Save and spend according to what he has given you. And watch God be honored and glorified as you worship him, not the possessions that could have become so important in your life. May God get all the glory, all right? He says here, uh, there's a fairness that's going to go on as you're covering their needs and they're covering yours over the course of time. God's giving enough into the broader communities for it all to balance out, but he's asking us to learn to share. And all of God's people said, open our eyes, open our hearts, see the need, and be willing to be a part. And in the excess that he gives, 
May we see how we can be filling the needs of those around us in the world. Okay. He then says, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. This is a quote right out of Exodus 16 and from that story I was just telling you. And he's like, I'm just telling you, whoever gathered according to their size, it all went well. Whether they were a large family or a small family, God knows what he's doing. And he poured it on and blessed them as they moved along in the wilderness. Our God is a giving God who owns the universe. His plan as he pours into your life is for you to be a manager of what he's entrusted to you. Give back first to him, then saving and spending wisely. Man, get those debts out of the way that are crushing you and cracking your back. Be able to get those things paid down or removed from your life, whatever it needs to be. And be able to go to a point where you actually are able to give over and above giving as well. May God get all the glory. That's a biblical plan for generosity. And all of God's people said, all right. So here's the simple question. What needs to change in your family this week? What is it you need to go after? You might be sitting in here and you're like, oh, don't ask this question, man. I don't want to have to go home and have this conversation. It's going to get in sideways. And uh, then it's time for it to get a little sideways. It's time to have the tough talks. How do we make sure that our living with what God has given us honors Him? We're not trying to extend and live beyond what He's given us. We're living within those means according to what He's given us. What needs to change with your giving? What needs to change with your saving and spending? What does it look like for you to go after this with a worship for God to get all the glory? Really consider it. Really consider it. Okay. Now, if you're in a family that has more than just you in it, I guarantee there's at least two or more opinions to that thought right now. And so it's going to be time to sit down and talk that through and make some good, biblical, wise sense out of it that God may get all the glory. 